Do you remember where you were when Art Modell took the team away? Yes, I was in Iraq. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I was the worst day of my life, and I was in Iraq. <laughs> what, like, were there other Browns fans? Oh, yeah, we cried. Grown men in Iraq crying when he took that team out of here. What did it feel like when they came back? I knew it would never be the same because in those four years, we lost a lot of fans, and the new fans wasn't going to enjoy the history of the Browns. You don't get that now, but so be it. There's nothing more annoying than someone telling you that something used to be awesome. But here I go anyway. The Browns actually used to be fucking awesome. The Cleveland Browns, the darlings of the All-American Football Conference, are the champions of all professional football. The problem is this. Those good Browns are now Baltimore Ravens. The current Browns are an expansion team that we put together like a high school paper. You decided to start the night before it was due. We're going to dive into why the old team skipped town, how the fans brought them back from the dead, and why Art Modell became the most hated and pissed on man in Cleveland. Frankly, it came down to a simple proposition. I had no choice. I'm Andre Knott, and you're now entering Brownstown. Ask any boomer, and they'll remember the good Browns as a football powerhouse. In their first 18 years as a franchise, they won eight championships. Take that, Tom Brady. Legendary players like Otto Graham. Otto Graham transforms the interception into a lightning-like strike for a touchdown. Jim Brown. This is Jim Brown, the most devastating ball carrier in the history of football. Ozzie Newsome. Ozzie Newsome, he's in for Cleveland, and the Browns take the lead. Some of the best of all time playing in the birthplace of football. I mean, the Football Hall of Fame is 45 minutes south of Cleveland in Canton. I know, everyone thinks Texas football. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Blah, blah, blah. We actually invented this shit. It's in our blood. These good brownies never won a Super Bowl, but in the 80s, they famously just missed all the time. The near misses have been given cult status nicknames that have been passed down from generation to generation. Red right 88. Was it intercepted? Oakland, Oakland intercepted the ball. The drive. Mark Jackson from Elway culminating a 98. In 15, a dramatic play. The fumble. Ernest Miner. Fumble. Fumble the ball, and Denver has recovered. Oh, my. Ugh. That hurts to hear again. These heartbreaking moments, though, didn't mean we were bad. It actually meant we were great. Here's Mike Polk. It's funny that those are also in themselves tragedies, and those were the glory days. But the reason that they reached the status of tragedy is because there was enough positivity that led us to the place where we could lose it all. And so at least there was some fulfillment in that, and you had the enjoyment of getting there, which is all most of us have ever wanted. That was everything to us. They might have been soul-crushing defeats, but the team was good, and the fans were happy. Hell, the team may have been the only reason Clevelanders were happy. Because the city as a whole had been on a steady decline for three decades. The city had a number of old aging factories that weren't very, very efficient and lost huge population. That's Cleveland urban historian John Grabowski. Particularly during the 1970s. In the 1970s, it was, Cleveland was in default. It was the butt of jokes. The previous mayor's hair caught on fire opening a welding convention. You could do all these tropes about Cleveland. Nothing embodied that decline like Cleveland Municipal Stadium, where both the Browns and Indians play. 
NFL Network's Chris Rose remembers that beloved dump. I mean, it was such a shithole, but it was ours, man. Like, there were no good seats. It was just horrible. Like, we had 50-yard line season tickets, but it felt like we were in Ashtabula. Like, we're you could not be further from the field on the 50-yard line. One night, I remember going to, like, a Thursday night game against maybe the Bengals. You know, I couldn't use our tickets. My dad had given them away, and then I wanted to go, and so we got some bad seats, and we were behind one of those posts. Like, I was like... How am I? I can't see. Like I got, there's a post in my way. Like deal, deal with it, kid. That place sucked, but it was ours. Even the kids felt an ownership of the place, just not the bathrooms. We'd come up to uh, games at Municipal when I was a kid pretty regularly. That's when I got to go and have a horrifying experience in the um, men's restrooms at Municipal. Butts to nuts in a trough setting with a bunch of angry mustachioed men from the late 1980s all chanting Bernie, Bernie and using all kinds of colorful language that in this day and age would get the entire urinal line canceled. The butts to nuts pee trough was just one of the delights of the old stadium. Built in 1931 and renovated never, the Muni included unique features like heavily obstructed views, visible rusting on seats, unlit cinder block tunnels, and an overall vague threat of structural collapse. And it stunk. How'd you like to spend every Sunday for 50 years in this seat? You know what, I'd probably want to take it with me if I'd done that. What if somebody takes, wants just the right piece, and this thing's like a house of cars? <laughs> That's a clip of Brown's great Brian Sype and Jerry Shirk walking around and reminiscing about the old stadium before it was bulldozed. And even they didn't seem super comfortable climbing up to the nosebleeds. But from 90 to 95, the Browns were still in the top five for attendance across the league. Well, the fans, they, they really love their team and they really love the town. That was evident at every home game. And the thing about those home games was the dog pound. That's my guy, former Browns head coach Romeo Cornell. When I was at New England, I was warming my guys up in that end zone and you're they are right on top of you. They're talking to you and they did the homework. They knew some things about you. Uh, <laughs> and and they let you know it, you know, while you were there. And and so um, that that was a memorable experience there at the Dog Pound. That brings us to 1996, the year of Art Modell's ultimate betrayal. He purchased the team in 1961 and famously fired Paul Brown in 63, the guy the team's named after. And after their 64 championship, Modell's Browns would never reach another title game. I also want to note, before I go on to relentlessly trash this guy, Modell was a key figure in growing the NFL into the powerhouse it is today. He was on the forefront of getting games televised. He established the Thanksgiving Day games in Detroit and hosted the first ever Monday night football game. Okay, that's the first and last time you'll ever hear me say something positive about this dude. Despite the great attendance and passion from the city, Modell seemed allergic to turning a profit. I mean, the guy needed Jerry Jones to come in and turn his million-dollar TV deal into a billion-dollar TV deal. Where's the money, Art? Terry Pluto had a front-row seat watching him fumble the bag for decades. Art Modell, like the only NFL owner who couldn't find a way to make money. I, I mean, all the rest of these guys make money one way or the other. I mean, you'll have some people who will swear they could not sell a ticket, much like last season. 
And it's still fine because of all the television and residuals ways to make money. The problem was, like every other asshole owner, Modell didn't want to pay to build a new stadium. On top of that bullshit, he eventually wanted to give control of the team to his son, David, creating the ultimate nepotism-fueled Catch-22. If Modell had just sold the team, he could have raked in a ton of cash and skipped out on the bill to either repair or replace the Muni. He even had the perfect guy to sell to, his best friend, who already had a minority stake in the team. For the last 10 years before the Browns moved, our sat next to Al Werner during games. Think about that for 10 years. That's how close they were. The easiest thing to do was Art sells majority ownership to Al Werner. Al Werner, who is far more politically savvy than Art Modell, goes and muscles the city of Cleveland to get the stadium in the same way that happened after the move. And the team just stays here. Only Werner would be, I think, a much bigger hero. Now, the way Terry described what should have happened makes way more sense on a football business and fan level. So, of course, that's not what happened. What did happen was much more stupid. To sum up the next five years of drama, future Cleveland Browns owner Al Lerner helped Art Modell rip the team from the city. So Lerner could roll in, fill the power vacuum, have his own team in Cleveland, and look like a hero while doing it. The Warner family's been around Cleveland for a long time. They've made a lot of money in a variety of things. But the main thing he did, he was uh, out MBNA out of Maryland, out of Baltimore. Think about the banking connections in Baltimore, Baltimore shopping for a team. So he can make it work. Was he thinking in the back of his mind, okay, well, they move. You know, I'm just going to roll right in. Art wants to go to Baltimore. Okay, I'll make it work. And he did. And they gave him basically a brand new free stadium. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a signed contract in hand. The Browns are indeed coming to Baltimore. This has been a very, very tough road for my family and for me. I leave Cleveland, Ohio, 35 years, and leave my heart, a good part of my heart and soul there. I went to the press conference the next day, and, you know, it was funny. They're all celebrating in Baltimore. Modell had this look on his face. It was sort of like that he was passing bad gas or an indigestion because he knew in his heart this wasn't right. He knew it, but he didn't care. And just like that, they were the Baltimore Browns, and Art Modell became the most hated man in Cleveland. And now the good people of Cleveland turned index fingers they had used to point straight up in a number one gesture toward their once-beloved, now suddenly vilified owner as the bad guy. As Nick Charles reports, the reaction in the city in some cases has been downright nasty. People fucking hated Modell. They burned effigies of him. There were muck Modell hats and t-shirts printed up. There were urinal cakes with Modell's face on them. And the hatred hasn't faded much in 25 years either. A Browns fan visited Druid Ridge Cemetery to go to the bathroom on Art Modell's grave. I get hating Art Modell, but dropping trowel in a cemetery? Come on, man, that's a little too far. Weird side note here. When the Muni finally was demolished, someone paid $2,700 to buy Art Modell's toilet from his personal suite at the stadium. Not sure why this episode has ended up having a pee theme to it, but I guess it's fitting for a man who pissed off an entire city forever. Yes, I hear your groans about that pun, and I don't fucking care. Just listen to the pain in Andrew Siciliano's voice. I don't know how I can say this without going over the top, but I mean, it was clearly the worst day of my sports fandom. 
life. I don't know that, honestly, I got out of bed saved to go to class for a few days. It, I mean, it, I, again, I sound like I'm exaggerating. It felt that bad. Modell announced the move in November, which meant the Browns had a month left of football. Can you imagine your spouse cheating on you with your neighbor and then deciding not to move out for another month? The team ended up only winning the last home game of the season on December 17th, 1995, and half of the old stadium ended up on the field. Now they're going for whole seating sections. They're starting to come out of the stands now. These are going to be thrown onto the field. See, it's missing right now. <laughs> so somebody ought to get out of the way because there it comes. Yeah. And the other half was taken home by fans. John Grabowski still has his seats. Historical Society, where I work, has several seats that were uh, ripped out of the stadium after the, the last game there when the dog pond went crazy and tore up everything they could and carried it out as souvenirs. As fans left with seats under their arms, a movement had already begun brewing that was way more useful than peeing on everything Art Modell owned. Fans start suing everybody. Modell, the Browns, Stadium Corp, the Maryland Stadium Authority, it ended with the comically named court case, City of Cleveland versus Cleveland Browns, and started the Save Our Browns movement. Jim Donovan was blown away. You have to realize, everybody, that that was the most amazing grassroots campaign that you would ever imagine to convince the NFL to bring the Cleveland Browns back in some form. So how did the fans do it? They did it by ringing the telephones off the hook in New York, fax machines, public rallies, marches to Pittsburgh to the Monday night game when the Browns were still in Cleveland in their final season. It was absolutely amazing, and it just forced the hand of Paul Tagliabue and the NFL to say, hey, this was wrong. These people, this was not an apathetic fan base. This was a fan base that filled a rickety old stadium to the tune of about 78,000 every Sunday. They do not deserve losing this team. Fuck no. And that's why the NFL and Baltimore agreed. Cleveland could keep the team name, colors, and legacy, and the franchise itself would be deactivated for three years while Cleveland built a new stadium, found a buyer for an expansion franchise, or an owner who would relocate an existing franchise to Cleveland. Basically, the have you tried turning your team off and back on again reset. With Browns football coming back in 99, we had no idea that this would not be as easy as picking back up where we left off. Instead, we were signing up for 20 years of total garbage football. The good Browns were stolen from us, and here came the bad Browns. Each upcoming season, a different, beautiful, dark, twisted story of failure and sadness. Well, one of the best emails I ever got on that from one of my books, the guy said, I actually don't blame Art Modell. I blame my parents, my great, great, great grandparents who came from Ireland and could have landed their boat anywhere. And for whatever reason, them and Moses Cleveland just kind of crashed into what is now Cleveland. They've lived here ever since. And somehow they became Browns fans and I'm stuck with them. I don't think any franchise has actually had their fans suffer more because nobody was so traumatized by the move. That's the difference. That whole Browns thing was really bad, which then set up all the stuff that followed. Starting with the NFL screwing the new Browns before they even played a single down. The 1999 Cleveland Browns expansion draft is here. We party like it's 1999 next time on Brownstown. 
Brownstown is hosted and reported by me, Andre Knott. Produced and written by Harry Swartow and Peter Moses. Edited by Isabel Jocelyn. Music by Brian Decker. Production coordination by Devin Shepard. And production assistance by Miriam Khan, Michael Ehrlich, Shwepa Surendran, and Zach Jackson. Brownstown is a Blue Wire podcast and executive produced by Peter Moses and John Yells. See you next time.